I'm Sarah Lother and a very warm welcome to this NetWealth Master Investor webinar tantalizingly entitled Charting the Course Navigating 2024, a Financial Outlook. I will be talking to Chief Investment Officer Ian Barnes, who um, with about 10 minutes to go has stepped in for Jerry Lyons, um, who is very well, um, but his technology isn't. Right, so first up, Chief Investment Officer Ian Barnes. And Ian, as we approach the end of 2023, just where are we in the global economic cycle? Well, I guess um, the first thing to, to mention is to say that it's obviously something that's pretty, pretty key to how we think about looking after client portfolios and building that big picture overview of how to um, allocate between different asset classes um, and then and then implement them as, as efficiently as possible for client portfolios. Um, so where we are now um, at the end of what has been a, a, a very interesting uh, year in terms of the, the overall economic picture is that markets are starting to wonder how far through we are in this journey towards tighter monetary policy and what are the implications for economic growth in the in the years to come uh, uh jerry uh, often often mentions that you know when you're thinking about the global economic picture uh, a global growth and um, profile of around four uh, percent feels like boom time a global growth picture of around three percent implies that there's a, a few areas that are teetering on recession and I think it's more towards that latter um, picture at the moment where we see a very um, challenging uh, outlook in in some ways for the UK and much of Western Europe and that's where we're that's where we're pitching at the moment. Okay so you say challenging I'm just wondering what is the likelihood that the UK is going to encounter recession in 2024? Well, I, th I think you've got to say there's a, a reasonable um, chance. Of course, when we think about this year already, the UK is one of those countries that's been um, teetering on negative growth at times. Now, there are different sort of flavours, if you like, of, of recessionary environments. Sometimes people start talking about a technical recession where you're just not seeing positive periods of economic growth. But then there's obviously more sort of meaningful, um, painful versions of a recession where it's felt much more broadly. Where we're sitting at the moment is that the UK is not entirely clear if it's going to be either of those two or if we might actually be able to generate some, some growth. When we've been talking about that on, on the team, um, we think there are three areas that suggest that uh, you need to be aware that um, a recession is a possibility. The first is there are weak indicators um, that are forward-looking called the purchasing managers indices, and they give a, a sense of um, how confident uh, people embedded within the real economy are about their, their company's future prospects. They've been weak in the UK, much like a lot of other developed nations. Uh, secondly, monetary growth and bank lending are both in negative territory. Um, so uh, monetarist economists would argue that um, everything flows from uh, from what is what is happening with money. And for certain, after a, a period of strong monetary growth, we're now seeing the, the kickback from that. And that's rolling over quite significantly. Perhaps most importantly, however, is just that the, the UK, uh, like many other um, economies, has had to deal with 
the impact of monetary policy tightening over the past 18 months. And all policymakers know that the impact of this policy uh, tightening has a, a sort of long and varied lag in time. So the policy tightening has taken place, but the impact of that tightening has not yet fed through. So those are three things we need to, to watch out for. On the positive side, the economy has remained pretty resilient. A lot of people thought that a recession was already a done deal in 2023. It hasn't really come to pass. We've just been sort of very, very low levels of growth. Um, secondly, the employment picture is also pretty strong. Um, people are, are holding on to jobs, and of course, that gives a, a, a more solid base. Um, thirdly, possibly most importantly, is that you're starting to see the inflationary impulse that was the cause of all of this damage um, starting to recede. So as inflation decelerates, first at the headline level, um, impacted by falling energy costs, et cetera, but then also in core prices, they're both starting to decelerate. So people's real incomes are going to grow and that's going to provide a real support. And, and finally, the, 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 the opportunity from all the tightening that's taken place is that now there's a bit more room for, for policy stimulus, both in terms of monetary policy, but also on the fiscal side potentially as well. The government might be able to help out. Okay, we'll come to the government later on because there might be change in administration next year. So where are interest rates headed here? You've told me that the monetary policy and their decision making tends to have a lagging effect and you, you're, the indicators are that inflation will recede. But interest rates, 15 year high, is that it? Is the monetary policy committee done with raising interest rates? Well, we we think that um, the it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic at the moment where market participants are sort of testing um, the how how good central bankers are for their words. So they insist that they're still on a um, still have a, a bias to tighten. Um, markets are saying, don't believe you. We think you're done with this hiking cycle. And now it's just a question of how quickly that policy recedes. So the first interest rate cuts are expected to be in the, the first half of next year. And in the UK, I think there's two to three interest rate changes priced before the end of end of next year. We think uh, you know, the, the direction of travel is probably right. Um, we're not sure just at the, at the moment, if we're going to see that full effect come through, um, but it's, if it's even more emphatic in the US now, where, where there's five interest rate cuts priced in the US market, um, if the Federal Reserve in the US start to move interest rates that aggressively, it seems to me it's going to be quite hard for the, for the UK against a slowing backdrop to be able to um, sustain rates where they are as well. So let's talk about monetary policy committees here and in the US. You know, I'm just wondering whether the power remains with the MPC and the US Federal Reserve, or are they toothless entities, you know, unable to make much difference with their monetary policies? You know, will it still be much talk, much talk and very little action when it comes to sort of taming inflation? Well, I think, yeah, I think here you've got to think about what's the what's the cause and what's the effect of of, uh, of policy and whether or not policy changes are just coincident. There's, I think there's, you can make a decent case that they were policymakers were generally pretty pretty slow to react. They didn't 
um, recognize the damage that sort of super cheap money was doing um, in terms of the, the structure of, of, of markets, but also um, the way that economies were behaving. Now, Jerry likes to, to mention that um, amazingly, all, all forecasts that come from central banks always assume that you get back to the magic 2% inflationary number at some point. Now, you can argue whether whether that is due to their, their policy making or, or, or otherwise, but um, I, th I think I, I, don't know, I don't know if I would characterize them as being as being toothless. I would certainly say that they're not necessarily full, as fully in control of, of things as they might uh, like us to believe. But for sure, every central banker is going to be keen that they're not the ones who let inflation run away under their watch. So, so we think that the risk of a, a policy error of um, rates staying a little bit too high for the underlying strength of the economy is is something that should be should be taken pretty seriously. But the big elephant in the room, of course, is is debt. Globally, we've become a very indebted world. COVID was very costly. So as the US and the UK remain shackled with debt, can Western economies grow against the backdrop of very little money? Uh, well, well, uh, I, I, I guess that remains to be seen, and this is where you know uh, Jerry gets uh, deeply embedded in the in 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 these big these big picture debates. I think the 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 question is always: Are you growing at a rate um, stronger than the cost of your borrowing? So as long as you're growing at a rate that's that's above the the interest cost, then then that's that's helpful. The problem is that uh, we, we've we've seen time and again that once debt gets to a certain level, it has a real sort of um, dampening effect on the on the level of growth that you're able to generate. I think this is where you know you stray into the to the to the to the realms of of politics in terms of how you can try to stimulate the the growth required and the appropriate policy mix between monetary policy between fiscal policy etc but without doubt there's a there's there's a problem within the UK and western europe of of being able to generate meaningful growth that's going to deliver improved economic outcomes for for all of us um so when when we're trying to think about what that means for for our available universe of in, of, of investment instruments for for driving client returns we've got to make sure that we've got the right mix of of assets that are there that can benefit from a wide range of different outcomes so um i think it's i think it's foolish to to make uh investment decisions that are predicated on a really strong view on these massive big picture questions you've got to be slightly more nuanced in terms of how you think um, you, the different moving parts of your portfolio are moving. That's a, that's a really long, long answer of saying basically I don't know. <laughs> but but what we try and do is trying to to control the outcomes for client portfolios, uh, notwithstanding the result of that question. But also, it's foolish to make your investment decisions based on what you see on TikTok. But we understand that um, it's the TikTok influencers who could decide who is going to. Um, win the US election in 2024. I'm just wondering to what extent will 2024 be defined by the elections 
in the US and the UK? And will we see a return to Trump and Trump Trump economy economics Trumponomics? Um, yeah, I, 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 well, it's, it's bound to be it's bound to be fascinating in terms of how the the electoral cycle plays through. Um, I think the it it, it seems it seems bizarre to to a lot of outsiders how the 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 US can be sort of stuck in this stasis between the two the two options that a lot of a lot of ob observers don't see as particularly attractive. Um, I, I think. Uh, throughout the course of the next nine months we'll probably see some of the policy choices become a little bit more clarified at the moment it feels like um the two different sides are just just sparring and markets aren't really taking a view on on the impact at the moment i think we're still sort of caught in the the, the trap of just sort of wondering at the the personalities and how we've got to this point um i think what will be really interesting is if we see a, a repeated uh sort of set of policies if trump does get elected um you know has is the is the 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 reaction function from the us government still going to be the same and are we still going to you know would we see uh, a bunch of policies overturned or reversed um to 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 sort of try and generate that that um that strong emphasis that you provide back in 2016 from from the benefits of uh, of, uh, of fiscal changes um it's not necessarily clear to me that the election would have the same boost given that what we've seen from uh you know some of the some of the policies that biden has put in place um post trump as well which have you know been pretty expansionary um, in in their own right it'll be interesting to see what happens if the labor um party gets in next year particularly as Keir Starmer is such an admirer of of Maggie Thatcher but let's have a look at how all of this impacts the market the market landscape I'm just wondering you know will the market be influenced by a Labour government or or another government we don't know yet yeah so well so the the UK is a really interesting case in point it's something that we as you know the 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 majority of our um clients are sterling based we offer portfolios for us dollar and euro investors as well but the majority are sterling based and that as a starting point has been you know pretty a pretty wild ride over the past um seven or eight years in the way that people's perception of the uk has changed on international markets so i i think anything that can suggest that the uk is is generating a bit more a bit more growth obviously um but also a bit more stability could have a real impact on the way that uk assets behave so we we characterize things at the moment specifically to the uk uh, as thinking that there's a lot of value there but the you could have made the arguments that uk assets are cheap for a, for a long period of time what isn't clear is how both domestic and international investors are going to perceive that value in in the future. Do they need to do they need to have um, some strong, visible, reliable catalyst to to unearth some of that value? And that's what's that's what we're not sure of at the moment. So we've still got quite a large bias towards the um, the the mega caps within the FTSE 100 because we like some of the sectoral exposures. Um, uh, but it's something that we're monitoring pretty pretty closely, and we'll be discussing it next um, next week's investment committee. If we can extend that more broadly out to the to the rest of the world, I think it's it 
it's, it's even more interesting because at the moment you, you've got bond investors now who are um, increasingly confident that this inflationary impulse has passed and that they can see uh, monetary policy changes in the future. At the moment, you're seeing expectations for inflation receding. You're seeing expectations for interest rates uh, reducing, but you're also uh, there with a with a pretty decent employment picture, and people uh, are still giving equity markets the benefit of the doubt that their earnings are going to be resilient um, amongst this backdrop. So all in all, people are definitely pricing in a soft landing. It appears to us as though that the path towards that soft landing is narrowing quite a lot. So we don't imagine that it's going to be plain sailing for both equities and fixed income in the, in the months to come. So we're just focusing on building in as much resilience as possible into portfolios so that we've got different asset classes that can respond in a positive way to different environments. How often does your investment committee meet or is this the, the end of year roundup or do you meet pretty frequently and your portfolio is, is quite flexible and, and can move with trends and sexual differences? Yeah, so so we meet on a, on a monthly basis, um, but obviously the investment team are, are sort of communicating on a, on, an, on an ongoing basis. Our our model at Net Wealth is very much to say, can we build sensible portfolios in an efficient way, mostly using passive instruments, so keeping costs and charges as low as possible, so we can return as much as that market premium back to back to our clients, and that served us pretty well over the past seven years. Um, I think it's important to get that balance right between uh, retaining some flexibility to respond to a changing environment. But the one thing we're, we're super aware of is the risks of overtrading and, and getting getting caught amongst um, you know the, 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 the changing moods of the market and being overly responsive to what's going on. We think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. So if there's a, if there's a reason why we can stick to our strategic view on different asset classes and our, our various um, investment portfolio building blocks, then we'll, then we'll stick to those. And to, to be honest, we're pretty close to our strategic allocations at the moment. Are they purely UK based? Because I was going to ask you finally, you know, there is obviously there isn't universal economic malaise. There are emerging and develop, developing countries. I was wondering, you know, who are they? What are they doing differently? Are you paying attention to them? Yeah, we're certainly paying attention to them. I think the, the, the fascinating thing over the past, uh, you know, uh, 12, 13 years now has been how the the price um, for which uh, international investors are willing to pay for some of that emerging growth has just fallen bit by bit. So emerging markets as a, as a, a generic sort of unrealistic block have underperformed over the past 15 years by by uh, a, a huge amount versus say the, the US. And that's because people see that um, the level of economic growth, um, uh, so economic growth sort of narrow in the US. So they don't think that it's worth paying as much for um, the, the future growth prospects combined with greater geopolitical risk. So the result is that um, you know, coming out of the, the global financial crisis um, about 15 years ago, um, emerging markets were valued pretty highly. Um, that uh, premium has just been eroded such that there are a distinct um, valuation discount to particularly the US. So we're in a weird position where 
um, people aren't backing that growth in the same way. Undoubtedly, there are going to be good growth stories, but it's a question of whether or not the market is willing to give them the benefit of the doubt or whether it reverts back to the position where we're at at the moment, whereby the market's only really paying up for companies, typically in the US, where they think that they can extrapolate future sort of strong present earnings potential way out into the future so those those big magnificent seven names that you know i'm sure you've spoken about with a bunch of different investors many thanks ian well thank you very much indeed this podcast was brought to you by master investor for more investment and economics analysis please visit masterinvestor.co.uk